0: Let's turn to the third epistle of John, verses 1 and 2. Third epistle of John, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, The Elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray, Some translations say, I wish or I desire, that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, who said this? God said this. If this statement is just a greeting from one person in a letter to another person, it should not be in the Bible. The word of God is is God speaking to us. It is God's will for all people for all times. And God said, I desire above all things that you prosper. God said, I desire above all things that you be in health. Not above some things, not above many things. He said, I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health. Now there are millions of Christians, good people who love God and are going to heaven who do not believe this. They believe that God sometimes heals, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he has some spiritual reason uh, for you being sick. And, um, you know, nobody can tell you what that reason is, but God in his mysterious ways uh, uh, desires that you, you lo- uh, learn something, that, that you're being taught some kind of spiritual lesson through suffering uh, physically and, and, and being sick. Uh, they believe that, uh, you know, some people are rich, but, um, you know, some people are rich, but it's not for everybody. It's, it's not God's will for all people for all time, for them to be blessed, for them to have plenty, for them not to have to struggle financially, for them not to have to struggle physically with, with chronic sicknesses and diseases and all, um, so how do how do those beliefs and doctrines line up with what we just read in this verse? I desire above all things that you prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Well, it doesn't agree with it at all and and uh, this is the result of people sitting in churches where they're they're taught that uh you know, God heals some people, but he doesn't heal everybody. He blesses some people, but it's not for everybody. Um, but we have been studying this subject in relation to what kind of God do we serve? And we're looking at the Bible. We're looking at Scripture. Do we serve a God who has plenty? Do we serve a rich God, a generous God? And... A God who desires for us to have plenty and for us to be generous and to us and for us to be a blessing? Or do we serve a God of poverty who is stingy and has a purpose in people being sick and struggling financially? We're studying what the Bible says, not what I think not what somebody else thinks. My opinion doesn't matter. Other people's opinions don't matter. Other people's experience does not matter. Uh, Many people have more faith in their own personal experience in these areas than they do in what God says. And that's a big problem. There is a way to prosper in the world apart from God. That's not the kind of prosperity we're talking about. We're talking about prospering in God through His Word as our foundation. There is no such thing as prosperity outside of God's Word. There's no such thing as true prosperity outside of God's Word. Like I said, there is a way that the ungodly prosper in the world, but that is apart from God. We're talking about prospering in God. And the word of God is the only source of truth for all ages, for all mankind. Bible prosperity means, one of the, one of the meanings of it is to succeed and go forward. So this is not a one-time event. This is an ongoing state. This is a lifestyle of success and well being, spiritually, mentally, physically, materially, and financially. Prospering spiritually comes as a result of receiving forgiveness for your sins by acknowledging. Jesus as your Lord and Savior and his sacrifice on the cross as payment for your sins. That's what Jesus referred to as being born again. Being born again and becoming a new creation in Christ, that is the first step to prospering in all the other areas of life. Uh, Sadly, salvation for many Christians means only going to heaven when they die. And while they're on their way to heaven, while they're here on this earth, they are content to live in sickness, lack, and defeat in this life. And sadly, many good Christians who love God have chosen to postpone the God kind of prosperity and victory until they get to heaven. The salvation Jesus has provided enables us to have it all in this life. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. We can have it all now. We are not required to pick And choose. Jesus said in John 10 10, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. John 10 10. You cannot enjoy life if you are sick all the time. You cannot enjoy life. If you're working hard, two or three jobs, and still struggling to pay your bills every month, you can't have peace. You can't have rest. You can't enjoy life living like that. God desires that we have it all, spiritually, mentally, physically, materially, and financially. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons. But one of the reasons is that so we can be a blessing and we as God's people on the earth can be a walking advertisement of the goodness of God. Romans 2 verse 4 says the goodness of God leads to repentance. The, the unbelieving world out there needs to know that God is a good God. And he desires that they prosper and he desires that they be in health. Romans uh, chapters 10 and 11 say um, it says that we, as born again Christians, are to provoke the Jews to jealousy. How many Jews, or non Jews for that matter, have we made jealous by preaching a poverty gospel in Christianity? I don't think we've made any jealous. This is, you know, this is one of of multiple reasons why people are not beating a path into church. As a matter of fact, church attendance has been declining sharply over the years. Faith in any area begins with knowing the will of God in that area. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Then he tells us how this God kind of prospering and being in health takes place. It takes place as a process as your soul prospers. So how does your soul prosper? Your soul prospers by reading, hearing, and meditating on what God has said in His Word in that area. And the particular area that we're talking about right now is prospering physically, materially, and financially. Your soul prospers as your thinking and your believing and your talking is transformed from a poverty and sickness mentality to a prosperous, successful, biblical mentality. You begin to think and believe and talk in agreement with what God says and with, with God's will and his desire for you. Living in Bible prosperity and health begins by prospering from the inside out. It does not begin in your bank accounts. It does not begin in your wallet. It does not begin in your physical body. Physical healing doesn't begin in your physical body. It, it begins on the inside, the prospering of your soul, uh, the, the feeding of your spirit with God's word in this area. Your soul begins to prosper as you hear God's will for you to be blessed abundantly and to be in good health. This is how your soul begins to prosper. Now, you may have grown up in a church that preached uh, poor people are more spiritual and godly than rich people. Now, it's commendable. It's commendable that poor Christians have served God faithfully in spite of their poverty. But that is not the will of God for them. You may have grown up in a church that didn't believe in healing and divine health. Uh, They believed that you could not know the will of God about healing. Uh, Sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. You just never know. They preached that God has some higher purpose in people being sick. Where is the scripture for that? Where is the scripture for that? It's not in the Bible so that did not come from god it came from somewhere else in our study of the bible in this subject we have been looking at the lives of abraham and isaac what kind of god did they know what kind of god did they serve if we could interview them today uh, uh and we asked them you know father abraham uh mr isaac do you do you think that uh, it's God's will uh, for for some people to, to to struggle with sickness throughout their lives? Is it is it God's will? Did did you experience that in uh, in your lifetime? Uh, do you think it's God's will that people struggle uh, financially throughout their lives and just constantly uh, just be under the, under the barrel, you know, struggling? Is that the kind of God that you knew and served? And, and uh, they would say, of course not. I, I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to tell you what I experienced. I'm going to tell you what I know. And, and they served a God that, that blessed them, that multiplied them, that protected them. Uh, that prospered them in, in every way with long life long long life the Bible says you know they they uh, lived out their their all of their days all of their days they fulfilled all of their days and they fulfilled it uh, being blessed and multiplied abundantly God promised Abraham he would bless him and 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 protect him, and prosper him, and he did it. He did it, and God has not changed, and we need to know this because we serve the same God they did. God's will has not changed. Now, we looked at uh, Abraham, and we saw that God revealed himself to Abraham by two of his redemptive names that reveal his nature and his will. First of all, He revealed himself to Abraham as El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, the only mighty God who supplies and satisfies. And God approached Abraham with this proposition. Abraham did not initiate this. Abraham did not go to God and say, God, I need some money. I want you to make me rich. No, it was just the opposite. God approached Abraham and this is what he said to him. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. That's Genesis 17one 2 God promised to bless Abraham spiritually, numerically, materially, and financially. And he did it. And in Genesis 13, verse 2, it says, Abram was very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. Abraham knew a God who blessed him and multiplied him abundantly. The second time God revealed himself to Abraham was um, in Genesis 22. He revealed himself as Jehovah-Jireh. The self-existent one. Jehovah Jireh means the God who sees ahead and provides. I mean, that really, really blesses and excites me because I have seen God doing this in my life even very recently. Um, And he is the God who sees ahead and provides. We saw that that, um, Isaac began his adult life As a multimillionaire, he inherited all of Abraham's wealth. And in Genesis 26, in addition to that, God added more to him. Genesis 26, 13, and 14 says Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold or a hundred times what he had sown, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper. And continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. Notice uh, it says flocks, plural, herds, plural, servants, plural. This is not just one sheep or one cow or one servant. This is uh, um, plural. He had many. And it goes on to say, He was so blessed, God so blessed him, that the Philistines envied him. The ungodly people around, living around him saw God prosper him to the level that they were envious and jealous of him and they even asked him to leave because he was making them look so bad. Isaac's prosperity was making the, the ungodly people and even the king of Philistia look bad. And they asked him to leave. But because uh, Isaac stayed where God told him to stay, he sowed where God told him to sow, he received a hundred times what he sowed in the same year during a time of famine. So Isaac actually succeeded in prospering to the point that the ungodly Philistines were jealous of him. And this is what the ungodly in the world around us should be seeing in the church. They should be looking at the believers in Jesus Christ and the the body of Christ as a whole and saying, wait a minute, (laughs) wait just a minute. Those people are so prosperous. You know, they ought to be jealous of us. They ought to be running to us saying, you know, we want to know this God that you serve. You, you don't, you, you've got, you seem to have it made. You, you're not struggling. You're not sick all the time. You're, you're you know, you, you don't spend most of your time in the doctor's office. You, you don't have to work three jobs. You know, you you have plenty of money. You have spare that you can even give to others. You can even help other people pay their bills. You can help, help uh, you know, buy a car for someone else or bless other people. We don't live that way. We, we, sh- we should be a walking advertisement for the goodness of God. This is exactly what God desires for us, that the ungodly around us envy us because they see that we're so blessed by God, and they want to know the same God. Abraham knew a generous God of abundance who blessed him, multiplied him, increased him spiritually, numerically, physically, materially, financially. What kind of God did Isaac know? He knew a God who made his father rich and wealthy, he knew a God that, that blessed his father and multiplied him. Isaac knew a God that blessed him a hundred times. Crops, sheep, cows, employees. God blessed him and made him very rich when everybody else around him was starving. Now with that as a a background and foundation, let's look today at what kind of God Jacob served. Multiple Multiple times in the Bible, God refers to Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So today, let's let's take a, a a snapshot of the life of Jacob. What kind of God did Jacob know? Now, Isaac began his adult life. Isaac, Jacob's father, began his adult life as a multimillionaire, and we're going to see that Jacob's life, his adult life, started very differently. It was very different. We're uh, I'm, I'm going to summarize a lot of this just for the sake of time. This is quite a lengthy story that covers several chapters, so uh, just due to time, I'm going to summarize a lot of this. You can sit down and read the entire story for yourself. It's very good reading. I mean, it's like... It's, it's, it's better than reading a, a mystery or a novel, really. Uh, it, it's very gripping in some ways. In Genesis 27, Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had two sons, Esau and Jacob, who was the youngest. Now, here in Genesis 27, Isaac is nearing the end of his life. And at this point, right at the end of his life... He's basically blind, and it was a tradition that the father pronounced a blessing before he died on the eldest son. And this blessing was very significant. Um, There were really two two things that the, the father passed on to the eldest son. One was this pronouncement of blessing, the other was very similar, but it was called the birthright. Uh, In this blessing was primarily two things. It was the transfer of material prosperity. It was also spiritual promises to the eldest son. It was headship of the family and the responsibility that went with that. Um, This blessing of Abraham we are seeing is being passed down from one generation to the next, which is exactly what God planned and his will has never changed about that either. We're seeing that this blessing of Abraham is spiritual and it's also material. And in this respect, the blessing of Abraham, the God kind of prosperity that we're talking about in the Bible is what we call total prosperity. It's not just money. It's not just going to heaven. It's it's total prosperity. It, prosperity. It's every area of life here on earth. Um, so here in Genesis 27, um, well, first of all, let's, let's just back up for, for one minute. Uh, before we proceed here, let's just back up to Genesis 25 briefly and just mention what happened in Genesis 25 between Jacob and Esau, the two brothers. Now, Esau was the eldest son, and he was in line to receive this birthright. The birthright meant headship of the family, and it also meant a double share of the inheritance. So this was a big deal. I mean, this was really a valuable thing to have and to receive. And Jacob as the youngest, he recognized the value of having that. And because he recognized the value of it, he wanted it. I mean, he, he was, a, he was a, a swindler anyway, by nature, uh, but he, he recognized the value of having that birthright and that blessing. On the other hand, the Bible says Esau despised this birthright. In other words, he did not recognize the value of it. He was cavalier about it. He was nonchalant about it. Uh, He didn't take it seriously. Uh, He just thought, oh, well, okay, the birthright, the blessing, okay, it's mine, you know. Uh, And he didn't really recognize the value of it. And uh, in this chapter 25, he sold his birthright to Jacob in exchange for one meal of food. Why? Because Esau was only interested in the instant gratification. And that is one of the things we see in our generation today, the desire for instant gratification. No one thinks long-term. No one thinks about the future. It's what do I want now? What uh, do I crave now? Uh, the, The cravings of the flesh. Um, and no desire for uh, the things of God, they don't value the things of God, they don't value spiritual things, is what do I want, and, and I want it now. And this was very much the attitude that Esau had. He, he was, at that partic- on that particular day, he was hungry, and he, he said, what good is this birth?" right to me now. I'm starving. Just give me some food. Okay, you can have the birthright. Just give me this food. Uh, so he, he, he wanted instant gratification at any cost, and he was willing to give up this birthright on the spot. So in Genesis 27, legally, the, the pronouncement of this blessing from the father should legally have gone to Esau. And Isaac called for Esau and says to him, go hunting, come back, cook me a nice meal, uh, and then I'm going to pronounce this blessing on you. Well, his mother, Rebekah, overhears this conversation. Now, Jacob is her favorite son. And she, even though Jacob's the youngest, she wants him to have this blessing because she also recognizes the value of it, and she wants her her little favorite son, Jacob, to have it, so she pulls Jacob aside and says, "Go out to the flock, bring me back a couple of goats i 'll fix a nice meal, you take it to your father, and he will give you the blessing before he dies so she didn't have any trouble in, in talking Jacob into this because you know he's kind of a con artist anyway, and he's already got the—he's already swindled the birthright from Esau. He's bribed him out of that birthright, and um, uh, so he, uh, he's all in agreement with this. And so he says, uh, "Okay, but Esau has hairy skin, and I have smooth skin. And uh, if my if my father touches me." Uh, and he sees I have the smooth skin, he'll know that I'm not Esau, and he'll know that I've tricked him into giving me the blessing, and then I'll be cursed. And his mother said, Oh, don't worry. Just let the curse fall on me. Just do what I tell you. So um, it's evident here that they both realize the significance and the value of this blessing. It's also evident here that Rebecca is not a woman of integrity. She is a schemer. She is dishonest. Um, Jacob is also ruthless. He's already bribed his brother out of the birthright. So um, his mother comes up with this scheme and she fixes the meal. She covers Jacob's hands in the 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 smooth of his neck with some goat skin. Um, And then she gets some of Esau's best clothes and puts them on Jacob. And Jacob takes the food to Isaac. Now, Isaac is a bit suspicious. First of all, he's suspicious of this because of how quickly this food was prepared. Secondly, he's suspicious because... um, this is not Esau's voice. He says, uh, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. So he's suspicious that this is really Esau that has come to him. He touches the goat hair on the back of his hands and he asks Jacob, are you really my son Esau? And Jacob says, I am. Now, The name Jacob means he deceives. Jacob means he deceives. And Jacob is in the process of deceiving and lying his way into getting this blessing. And he got it. In Genesis 27, verse 28, this is the blessing that Isaac pronounced on Jacob thinking it was Esau. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness or the riches of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Notice the words riches, the word plenty. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. And let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be those who bless you. Now in this blessing, is there anything in there that suggests poverty, lack, sickness, struggle, or defeat? No. We see the word bless. We see the word master. We see the word plenty. We see the word riches. Now, later on, after Isaac has already pronounced his blessing over Jacob, Isaac's already been deceived and tricked into it, Esau comes along. Uh, he comes back from hunting. He prepares this meal for his father, and he takes it to him. And at this point, Isaac realizes this is Esau, and he has already given the words of blessing to Jacob instead. So at this point, both Isaac and Esau realize that Jacob has deceived them, and he has tricked his father into giving him the blessing instead of Esau. They've both been tricked. Now Esau is so angry, he's he's going to get revenge on Jacob. And he says, after our father's dead, I'm going to kill that rascal. I'm going to get my revenge on that little rascal. And when Rebecca finds this out, she pulls Jacob to the side and says, you better get out of here because your brother is going to kill you. And she says, go to your uncle Laban and you stay there till this all cools down. And by the way, find you a a godly wife while you are there because your brother Esau has married these foreign Hittite women and they are driving me and your father crazy. And you cannot marry those Hittite women, you go to my brother Laban, your uncle, and you stay there till this all cools down, and while you're there, you find you a good wife. So, Um. we know that Jacob was ruthless uh, in obtaining this birthright and this blessing. Uh, I do not believe that God approved of his methods. I think that's pretty obvious. But Jacob did recognize and appreciate the value of the birthright, the blessing of total prosperity, and the things of God. And this is what God did take notice of. Now, um, A little more background here as to um, what happened here because I believe even though God did not approve of Jacob's methods, his dishonesty his mother's dishonesty, uh, I believe it was in the plan of God that Jacob be the heir to this birthright and to this blessing because, as we know, it's through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob— that Jesus the Messiah came. And I believe it was in the providence of God that Jacob be the one in line for this blessing. And we have some scripture along that line. We know that Jacob and Esau were twins. And before they were born, God spoke to their mother, Rebekah. And he said to her, The older shall serve the younger. So he said Esau is going to serve Jacob. So in this respect, God's already said that. So it was already in the mind and the plan of God. In Malachi 1 verse 2, it says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, both brothers had weaknesses and character flaws, but I believe these verses of Scripture um, tell us that it was the providence of God that he preferred Jacob and his descendants and rejected Esau and his descendants who were the Edomites. And we know the Edomites were some of these ites that uh, caused Israel a lot of trouble in the future. So Jacob, at this point, he has to flee from home because his brother's going to kill him. He's now on his own for the first time. He's without the comforts of home. He's without his father's money and influence. He is without his mother's pampering and cooking his favorite food. All he has now is what he can put in a backpack. He's sleeping outside. He's sleeping under the stars. He has the heat of the day. He has the cold of night. He has wild animals roaming around out there. He's never had to deal with this before. He's probably scared, wondering, will I live to ever make it back home? So you can see he's having a rough start on his journey to prosperity, much different from his father Isaac. But one night while he's out there on this journey to his his uncle, he's out there in the middle of nowhere, He has a dream, and in this dream he saw a ladder that reached from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending. And God spoke to him in this dream, and he said, The land you're laying on, I will give to you and your descendants. He said, In your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He said, I am with you, I will be with you and bring you back to this land. Now that sounds very similar to what God spoke to his grandfather, Abraham, doesn't it? Sounds very similar. I'm going to give you this land. So the next morning, Jacob is encouraged. He, he, uh, he builds a memorial to God there, and he makes a vow to God. And he says, God, if you will protect me, during this time, if you will provide for me, if you will bring me back to my homeland, I will surely give you the tithe. Now, this is, this is before the law of Moses. You know, there are Christians today that preach, well, tithing was in the law of Moses, and we don't live under the law of Moses anymore, so we don't have to tithe as New Testament believers. Well. Jacob is before the law of Moses. We know, where did he, where did Jacob learn to tithe? He learned it from his grandfather, Abraham. The Bible doesn't specifically mention that Isaac tithed, but, you know, we have no reason to believe that he, he did not. So uh, Jacob learned about tithing, certainly from his grandfather and probably his father. Uh, So this is well before, tithing, we have mention of tithing well before the Law of Moses. It was before the Law of Moses, it was during the Law of Moses, and we find it in the New Testament after the Law of Moses. So Isaac reaches his uncle Laban's house, and he introduces himself, and uh, he meets Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, and he instantly falls in love with her. Now, his uncle Laban is also a schemer. He's also ruthless, and he makes a deal with Jacob to work for him. He says, you know, you can't work for me for free. And uh, so Jacob says, I'll tell you what, uh, let me marry your daughter Rachel, and that will be my wages. So uh, Jacob agreed to work seven years, in order to marry Rachel. And after the seven years, Laban threw a party for the marriage. And then, on the wedding night, Laban does the switcheroo. He switches Rachel for his older daughter, Leah. And he gives Jacob the other daughter, Leah, instead. Now this party must have been one serious party for Jacob not to have realized that he was given the wrong girl. I mean, that must have been one wild party. Now, so Laban has done the switcheroo. He has tricked Jacob by not giving him Rachel. He gave him Leah. What's happened here? You reap what you sow. Jacob has now been deceived and tricked by his uncle. He's now reaping the harvest of trickery and deception he sowed when he deceived his own father into Given him this, this blessing that legally belonged to his brother Esau. You know, there's a saying what goes around comes around. And th- this is a Bible principle what you sow is what you reap. And this is exactly what happened to Jacob here. The, he, he sowed, tricking his father, and now he's reaping his uncle, tricking him by giving him the wrong girl. So, Jacob agrees to work another seven years for Rachel. Now, this was hard work. This this was tough working conditions. He's outside. He's in all kinds of weather. Sleepless nights. Wild animals roaming around. He's having to protect the flocks and the herds from these wild animals. Uh, so this was hard work. Uh, so he's, he's going on 14 years of this now, of hard labor. And you know, he, he was a mama's boy. He's, he's not used to, to having to work hard. But this tells us something about Jacob. Jacob eventually here is going to qualify for the blessing of God. Up till now, he's been ruthless. He's been a tricker and a deceiver. But he is eventually, we're going to see here, that he eventually qualifies for this blessing. So we see something here in his uh, steadfastness, in his uh, commitment and discipline to uh, stay with this, to to work for up to 14 years now, hard labor. Um, we're seeing that Jacob was not lazy, and this is one of the the qualifications to being blessed by God and prospering as God. You cannot be lazy. You you cannot. You know this is just a Bible principle. There are verses in Proverbs, you know, that talk about. Uh, the diligent and the the slothful and the lazy and so forth. Um, You know, it talks about the hands of the diligent prosper and so forth. So, this is telling us that Jacob was not lazy and he kept his part of the deal and he worked hard for Laban. So, after these 14 years Jacob uh, approached Laban and says, okay, I've worked my 14 years now I want Rachel, and and I want to take all of my family back to my homeland. And in Genesis 30, verse 27 and 28, this is what Laban said to Jacob. He said, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Now, Laban doesn't want to give up his good worker here. he sees that as as long as Jacob has been on the scene, Jacob, who has this blessing of God on him, although it's not being manifested yet up to this point, but the blessing is on him the the anointing to prosper is on him, and the fact that he's working for Laban has caused Laban to prosper, just like Uh, Joseph working for Potiphar caused Potiphar to prosper because the blessing and the anointing to prosper was on Joseph. Well, we're seeing this blessing and and anointing to prosper is already on Jacob. And And as he has been working for Laban, Laban's business has increased greatly. And Laban recognizes this, and he doesn't want to let Jacob go. And that's what he's telling them here. He says, just stay, name me your wages, and I'll, I'll give it to you. Well, Jacob has wised up now. Jacob, the, the deceiver, is skeptical, skeptical about this offer. He's already been burned once. You know, he's already been burned by his uncle. Laban has already deceived him. He's already promised him once to give him Rachel, and he didn't do it. So uh, Jacob's wised up, and he realizes his uncle is not a man of his word. I cannot trust him. Uh, Laban has already deceived him, and the Bible says during this 14 years, Laban changed his wages 10 times. So this tells us Laban is a cheat, and he is a liar. He is not a man of integrity and Jacob no longer trusts anything that he says. So Jacob says, I'll name my wages. So he says, let me take all the spotted and speckled cows and sheep and goats and after they've all reproduced, I'll keep the spotted and the speckled ones and you can have the brown ones. And Laban thinks, oh boy, this is a no-brainer. This, this guy has no idea what he's doing, and I'm going to come out even better in this deal. So, so he, he thinks Jacob's plan is never going to work. So Laban thinks this is a no-brainer. So he says, yeah, okay, I agree to this. But Laban got fooled. Uh, when he said, the speckled shall be your wages... What happened? God caused all the flocks to be speckled, all the herds to be speckled. And when he said, the spotted shall be your wages, all of the flocks were spotted. And God caused all of the animals that belonged to Jacob to produce spotted and speckled flocks and herds. And those are the ones that Jacob got to keep. And in Genesis 30, verse 43, it says, talking about Jacob, it says, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Notice all of this is plural. Flocks, servants, camels, donkeys. Jacob is experiencing the blessing of Abraham. After all these years, it's now beginning to manifest. After getting off to such a rough start, he's now beginning to experience the blessing of Abraham, what God promised him. And in Genesis 32, 9 and 10, this is what Jacob says to God. He says, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. God has now prospered Jacob to the point that when he returns home, his household and all of his possessions fill two large camps. He eventually qualified for the blessing. And we may talk about that more later because, you know, when we talk about this subject in the Bible, we tend to focus mainly on God's will and God's desire to bless his people. But we don't, uh, we don't talk much about the human side of prospering. We, we mostly focus on uh, God's ability and God's desire to prosper us. But it's not just all up to God. Our prosperity in this life the level to which we prosper, it's not all up to God. We have a part to play and uh, we don't talk much about that. So we, we may talk about that later on because that's very important in what we're studying here. And, and we may go back and look some. What qualities did Abraham possess that enabled God to prosper him to that level? What Qualities did Isaac and Jacob possess? What, what, about their, what was it about their character that enabled God to be able to bless them to the degree that he did? It wasn't just all up to God. So Jacob eventually qualified. He came back home with flocks and herds and camels and donkeys and many children with gold, silver, and many employees. This is not bad for a kid who had to flee from home with nothing but a stick and a backpack. He went from a stick and a backpack, came back home with flocks, herds, camels, donkeys, servants, children, employees, this is the kind of God that Jacob served. This is the kind of God that we serve. This reminds me of the verse in Job 8 verse six. It says, "Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly." And that's exactly what happened to Jacob. His beginning was small and it was rough, but his latter end increased abundantly. So we can see this blessing of Abraham being transferred from generation to generation. And you may have gotten off to a rough start in life but you can have a good finish. Amen? Just like Jacob. Hallelujah. So um, That's the point that we want to take away today. We serve the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob served. And it's God's desire, even though our beginning may be small, our latter end is going to increase abundantly. Amen.